host Trey Lewis with Good Landing Recovery, and you're listening to The Comeback. Welcome back. It is good to be with you today. Very excited about the content for this episode. We're going to be talking about testimonies, and I'm going to have uh, Taylor Shope with us today to be able to share her story about God's transforming power. And as we think about testimonies, and, and those of you who are listening, that you're, you're listening not just for entertainment purposes, obviously, but that it should be a reminder that if God would do it in Taylor's life, or that God would do it in my life, that he'll also do it in your life or your loved one's life. Uh, Revelation 12, 11, um, talks about the power of the testimony and how we overcome the enemy. You know, when you think about uh, Scripture and you think about different denominations and all the different points that can be argued, one thing that we cannot argue is the power of a transformed life and to be able to celebrate the fact that Jesus is still in the business today of transforming lives. And it's just, it, it's one of the, the miracles that I never get tired of listening to is how somebody that can be so broken and so messed up can have a face-to-face with the loving God and that Jesus can still transform the most broken and the most shattered life. Uh, I remember one story when I was traveling a lot with uh, a company I used to work for and I was uh, coming back from some city and we were making our approach into, our final approach into Atlanta, Georgia, and I was talking with this lady, and, you know, so funny to me is, is when I think about having children now, and, you know, and a, a conversation that I've got pictures of my children, you know, pulled up on my iPhone, and I'm, you know, exchanging, you know, these stories about children and stuff like that. It's just kind of funny to me to see, you know, just kind of how life changes, but so this lady and I, we're talking. Um, I'm sitting up in first class, and, you know, we're, we're showing children, showing our children to each other. And so as she's showing me, you know, a picture of, of, of her, actually of her grandchildren on her phone, you know, she's kind of going through there and giving stories and she really skips over um, this one particular child. And I was like, well, whose child is that? And she goes, oh, that's, that's my son's child. He's, he's a drug addict and uh, lives under a bridge in Mobile. And there was just so much embarrassment and so much shame as she gave this account of her son. And she has no idea. I mean, we're sitting there. I'm in a tie. I mean, she has no idea. There's, there's obviously, you know, no sign of my past on me. And when I start to share with her my story of going through 10 treatment centers about everybody that I loved and cared about had turned their back on me because of the choices that I made and that God was still able to intervene into my life and save my life. And I'll never forget her. It's we're making uh, the, the final descent into to Atlanta. And our, her quote is, she says, I, as soon as I get home, she goes, I'm heading to Mobile and I'm going to find my son and I'm going to bring him home. And just to know that by me simply taking the time to share my story of God's life-transforming power that she was now had hope for her son and she was going to go find him and bring him home. Today we are here with Taylor Shope, who is on staff with Good Landing Recovery. She has done a remarkable job with our women's program. She has one of the most incredible stories um, of God, you know, breaking into her life. And, you know, and so without me getting into all the details of that, Taylor, I just want to say that it's great to have you on today. And if you would share with us your story. Yeah, absolutely. I, um, I'm excited for this. But yeah, I guess starting in the beginning, I, um, I grew up in a loving home. I mean, my mom 
my grandparents, salt of the earth kind of people, um, Southern Baptist loving home. My mom was master sergeant with the Air Force, and we traveled a lot. Um, but, you know, I, I always, I had friends around me. We were always going camping, um, bowling. It was just, there's plenty, plenty, plenty of good memories to look back on and and no real reason that I could see that took me to the places that I ended up going. And um, I was an honor student, um, marching band, drum major, uh, black belt in jujitsu. Not very many things were very challenging for me. And, um, and I was very close with my grandparents. Grew up in a, they were in a small town in North Carolina. And um, everyone knew me, still knows me to this day. I, people, I don't even know their names. But interestingly enough, so I, um, I kind of start drinking casually in high school, like I guess most kids seem to do. But, um, but at some point, it began to take over a larger portion of my, my thoughts than school or work or family. Um, my first year of college, my grandparents started to get, they became ill. My grandmother had cancer, my grandfather, a couple different things, Alzheimer's. And, um, and I actually started drinking about their illness well before they ever passed away. Um, started pre-grieving almost and using the alcohol as a crutch rather than talking to the Lord about my pain and my fear. And finally, I think it was almost a year and a half after moving to North Carolina to be with them and, and help out my mom and, and really get those precious moments with them before I couldn't have them anymore. Both of them ended up passing within a month of each other. And they were my rock. They were my, my image of, of the Lord. Like He shined through them, and it was impossible to deny that, that they were His. And... And so I was lost. My mom was going through her own depression and things like that. And um, so I moved back to Georgia and, you know, I'll get a job or I'll start school online and then I have no motivation. I'll quit the job. I end up at home every probably three months um, doing nothing and just drinking and isolating and just go into a darker and darker place. And I did that for a year and a half. December 9th, I ended up getting hit by a truck, driving my car home. Uh, I was actually on the street that I lived on, got hit by a truck into a ditch, and uh, I was drunk. So I called a tow truck (laughs) to get my car out of the ditch, but I got arrested for DUI that night. Ended up on the front page um, of the Athens Athens paper for local EMT arrested for DUI. And um, yeah... So I had people from high school and middle school reaching out to me, saw me in the paper, things like that. It was just humiliating and um, had no no rhyme or reason why I couldn't stop that pattern of every three months I gave up, quit, fear, isolation, all the above. And um, so that, that led me on a, a year of white knuckling. And 10 months out of my 12 months of probation, I didn't drink. I actually held a job. I started to reconnect with my family, uh, but I still had, I had in my heart a resentment towards towards the Lord for taking my grandparents out of my life, and and it's so interesting the way that your perspective changes um, when you actually know the truth about yourself and and about who He is and the fact that I can't control everything, but. But from there, I really was just white knuckling it. I wasn't dealing with any of my problems on a on a deeper level or my behavior, you know, 
honesty, really. So, so from there, I've got a, about 10 months of, quote, sobriety under my belt. And, um, and I, I'm done with probation at this point, and I kind of go back off into the world. I'm going to start college again and, um, and start working full-time again. And immediately, you know, everywhere you go, there you are, is what they say. And uh, immediately, I started getting in my own way again. I wasn't going to church when I wasn't on probation. So when I was at home with my family on probation, I was connected with the community. And immediately I start going back off on my own after that. And um, I'm not going to church anymore. I'm not accountable to anyone. And I had a great-grandmother pass away. My family dog passed away (laughs) all in the same month and um, ended up dealing with a breakup, just, you know, life things, I guess. And... um, so from there, at this point, I'm terrified of alcohol. I know what it does to me, and I know that I can't control myself. And, um, and so my logical brain thinks, well, cocaine's a good, you know, that's a, that's a substitute, right? So um, living in a party town, trying to actually work full-time, go to school full-time, and I start doing cocaine regularly. And from there, it just escalates. Um, got into another relationship, fights with my family, on and on and on, and just no honesty from my own actions in my eyes. I was in total denial. And um, cocaine ends up becoming meth. I couldn't find it one night, couldn't find cocaine one night, and was completely okay with um, the person I had reached out to being, being able to bring me meth instead of cocaine. And it's just that alone is insanity to think that I was any kind of normal at that point. So from there... All relationships in my life deteriorate. Um, I I was using meth off and on for three years until the final year using it. I mean, every single day. I don't remember months just bleed together. Every day was a lie, leaving the house. Um, at, at one point, I lived in my car off and on for about nine months. Um, I missed every single one of my niece's birthday parties. I was 84 pounds. Um, Yeah. And it's just, it's one of those things where you look back at photos and you think that you're hiding it and it's insanity. It's just pure insanity. And so anyway, my mom and um, and my sister and another loved one in my life ended up, you know, connecting the pieces, connecting the dots um, and really just conversating about it with some some candor for the first time they all sat down and they were just like, you know, we've got, we've got to stop her cause you can't stop herself. And, and I was intervened on at August 12th of, um, of 2018 and less than 48 hours after that, I was in a 90 day program. It was insanity and it was exactly what I needed. It was everything I wasn't used to, um, honesty and you're just, you're out there. There's no there's no hiding anything. And there was a lot of growth that happened in those first 90 days. I really uncovered, uncovered these lies that I believed about myself and I used as a shield and, um, and got to the root of some of, of some of my behaviors in life. And, you know, that was great. That was fine and dandy. And I did, did that completed 90 days from there. I started working a job again. I was living in a sober living treatment facility, um, kind of started to reconnect with my family, 
But here I am about six months into what I actually call sobriety, what I call recovery. And, um, and I'm depressed. I'm not fulfilled. Um, I'm beginning to want to lie to these people again. I'm beginning to want to hide and retreat. And, um, and I'm having nightmares. I'm not sleeping. And here I am in recovery. Everything's going well for me in life, and I'm still unfulfilled. And I remember being awake one night. I had maybe gotten four hours of sleep in the last three days, trying to will myself to get up and go to work. But anyways, one night I can't sleep, and I finally, I'm laying in my bed, and the only thing I can think of to do, and this is in sobriety, is is to cry out to the Lord. I said, I, I can't. I don't know what's wrong with me. I don't know what I'm looking for, but I can't. I can't fall asleep. I don't feel like I can get up in the morning, and and I don't understand why. There's no substance that's ruining me. It's just something inside of me. And I I slept that night for eight hours, and I had a dream that night. Um, and it was just like an, an aerial view. It was a beautiful sunset. And it was just the most peace I had had in in years. And interestingly enough, I had already put put out some some actions into my life that ended up getting me in trouble. So I, I did lie about going to work at this at this sober living, and um, and when the the staff and my my community around me ended up finding out, I I was kicked out of their program. So here I am at six months clean after having this, this moment with God and this peaceful sleep, peaceful rest for the first time in probably two months. And, um, and I'm homeless, calling my mom, trying to figure out where to go. And I know that I, I want to stay sober and, and I don't know what to do. My mom lets me crash with her for one night and then I, I use what I had saved to kind of grab a hotel and I start calling I start praying. I reach out to everyone in my community that I can think of to to give me some help, even though I had just lied to these people. And and I was put in contact with Trey. Um, and I call Trey up, and uh, and he tells me a little bit about Good Landing, and tells me that it's that it's a it's a faith based program. And I mean that that first time I had prayed in the last couple months out of my six months of sobriety at that point in time was the only time I had peace in, in sobriety with myself, within myself, and really just getting honest with the Lord about I couldn't do it with or without drugs. And, um, and I think it was less than eight hours I, had, I was meeting with Trey, and <laughs> I see Good Landing has this, this eagle up on their wall in the lobby, and I kind of, I'm just, I'm waiting for Trey to come out of group on a Monday morning, and um, and I'm trying not to cry because I had just had this this peaceful sunset with these birds in my in my dream, and it was I don't know it was a moment of clarity. And since being at Good Landing, I now have a, a year and two months clean, and um, I have not been at peace. I've I ever before in my life, not like I am now, and excelling. When I think that I don't have any strength anymore, and then I wake up in the morning and I'm still smiling, and there's, I just, it's peace. I don't know how to explain it other than that, that it's not my strength, and it's it's not about addiction anymore. It's about life and what I can do with other people and 
you know, he's a God of restoration. I've, my niece and I talk every other day on the phone and I'm close with my family again. And it's just, I'm getting to spend every day with women that are like me and getting to tell them about the truth that is out there rather than the lies that they have in their head. And, um, I mean, my perspective is just completely different. I mean, I was, I was clean in those first six months, but I wasn't free. I definitely wasn't free. And I feel like I am today. <laughs> That's awesome. That is in, incredible. And um, just, just to hear that story and, and a reminder of, you know, God's faithfulness and, you know, through the ups and downs. And then also, you know, just the process. And, and I think it's so important. Um, there's so many different uh, things that I want to hit on right now. But one is that, you know, just because you walk through the, across the threshold of a treatment center doesn't mean that you're healed. And we realize, you know, you hear the things, you know, all the time that drugs are, you know, 20% of the problem and, and the 80% are the faulty paradigms and the belief systems and, you know, our defects of character and the drugs are really just the kind of the culmination or as all those things, you know, manifest into to drug addiction. And so we, we come in and, you, you know, we think about the lying and the manipulation, the process. And, you know, I think what's so cool about it is, is that when you ran into those issues, where so many people will abort the process when it gets hard. And we know it's by God's grace, but I just, you know, you're praying into that of like, God, help me. Um, you know, and then you, 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 you get to, you end up getting to good landing and the work that you put in. And I just, I saw the excellence and I saw, you know, the drive that you had to, to be the very best version of yourself and to be the woman that God created you to be. Um, the way that you poured into the women uh, whenever you got there. But, um, you know, all those things are awesome. And I want to, you know, get into some of that as well. But, you know, here's something else, too, is that um, people can't see you. And there's nothing about you that looks like a meth addict, you know. And so a lot of times we have these stereotypes of, um, you know, w- what that looks like. And, you know, it's it's only somebody that comes, you know, from from five generations of, you know, of, of people that were doing the same thing. And yet you were, you know, you grew up with, you know, God-fearing grandparents. You had a mom who was a master sergeant, uh, E7 in the United States Air Force. So you knew discipline. You had a picture of hard work, of what it looked like, but yet you still ended up going down that path. And so is there, is there anything that you can kind of speak to, to that side of it? I think it's just interesting. Um, you know, you don't, at 13 and you're writing that paper about what you want to do when you grow up and you don't think about, yeah, you know, I think I'm going to do meth in order to get through college and work full time. And that just makes sense to me. No, it's, it's, you know, it's no, nothing that you can predict. And, and even when you're in it, it's, I just, I don't know. It's. uh. Yeah. And and I think on, on this side of it, not to cut you off, but, but there's, there's so many, you know, I mean, dr- drug addiction, alcoholism, you know, has been around for, for, for so many years. And, and in a lot of ways, the stigma has been removed. But I think that there's still uh, a large portion of society that just doesn't get it. And to realize that it's not prejudice. I mean, it's not just for, um, you know, people that are homeless, living in gutters or in the trailer park, that there, there is not a demographic. There's no, it doesn't matter what your socioeconomic background is, how much money you have or don't have, that drug addiction can, can show up, whether it be meth addiction or heroin addiction, 
cocaine, alcoholism, that all of that stuff is there and that whenever it does happen, that, and that's why we created Good Landing is to say, we realize that, you know, when you use drugs and once you use them long enough to where people can really realize and say, hey, that person has a problem, you know, by then the drugs have, have changed you. The way that you negotiate life, the way that you you process things, you know, the lying and the manipulation, you know, as it becomes, you know, more of a primitive need that, you know, the things that we'll do to be able to get it. And so once somebody gets to that place, like they have to be, in my opinion, now you hear you know, the, the, the one-off stories where, you know, there's this sovereign experience with God and they're sitting there in church, they walk down to the front, somebody prays for them, and they lose the taste for, for meth addiction and they never touch it again. And I love those stories. I like to celebrate those stories. But the far majority, that's not how it happens. Like, that's not how it happened for me. Then I've been encountered by God and knew that God loved me. But I still had to have my butt snatched up out of society and put in the minor leagues, if you will, so that I could learn, you know, how, how to do life, you know, so that I could be, you know, trained again and have a safe place to be able to walk that out. And so to know that you've walked that process, you know, that you went through a program, that you put in work, you came to Good Landing, you put in work, and then we saw the work that you put in and that you, what you exemplified in, in your life. And we said, you know what, Taylor, is a model for that, and now we want to put her in charge of other women so that you can get in the trenches and walk them, you know, walk that out with them. And we've seen you do that, and you've done a remarkable job in helping our women because um, it is it is no easy task, you know, being a house manager and you know doing a lot of the administrative stuff. But you know, may, maybe speak to that a little bit, just on what it's like now where you've seen people, you know, fight for you, but now you're on the other side of it and, and you're fighting for them and you just want so desperately for them to be able to see, you know, see, you know, see how God sees them, their value, their worth, et cetera. Right. And I mean, it's exactly like you were saying, there is no, it doesn't discriminate. I mean, that's why my, the friends reaching out to me when I ended up in the paper were just, you know, I was that straight A student. I was the nerdy band kid that, you know, I mean, it's just interesting, and that was that was pre-meth. That was my alcoholism, and it's just I can look at these women now and and being on this side of it, and it's interesting to see how you know I can relate to my mother's frustration and my my sister and 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 the way that they were talking to me, and it's you can see the person that they are without it. You can see God's truth in them, and and how you see their gifts, and they don't see it. And, and I didn't see it and speaking that into their life and really just getting through the dirt of it all and, and showing them like there, there is a future, there is a path laid in front of you. Like he will make a way through the wilderness and, and it's, it's so clear on this side of it, but it's every day is, is a new day. It's a new, there's a different battle and, um, and it's just something that you you don't really speak to unless you you understand and it's i don't know it's it's been a gift to be on this side of it now too and it helps me every day just identify like the way that i used to be and also say you know relate to them and you know i i did that exact same thing like you might just like you said i don't i'd like to think that i don't look like a meth addict you know and it's it's um 
it's that I, I am them and they, they are me. And it's, you don't, you don't have to be that anymore. Like he has a different truth about you and, and here it is. And I'll show you how to walk it out. And you've got all these people around you to support you and they've all done it the exact same way. Yeah. It's awesome. And you've done an incredible job. And, 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 and I think that, you know, it's a process for sure. And I mean, everybody has their path, but um, you know, with you, the thing that I've noticed is your willing, your willingness to give back. And I think that that's always the telltale sign of those who are forgiven much, they love much. And your capacity to love these women and that when we need you to do something, you know, whether it, it is a, a lady that's being released from jail in Fulton County at three o'clock in the morning or, you know, it's some, um, you know, intervention that needs some support or whatever it might be that you're always so willing um, just to be there and to work through it no matter how difficult it is, whether we haven't had sleep or whatever it might be. And, um, and, and, and that's just a, a trait of, you know, something that, that obviously was exemplified in your life early on. But I think that, you know, because when you think about addiction, you think about the selfishness that, that drives it. And when somebody really gets this thing and, and you see that, that shift of saying, hey, this is no longer about me and my happiness and about my instant gratification and somebody that will put in that work to see others get it. Um, is is just the, the the testament to me that God has done something real. So I just want to say, as we conclude uh, this episode of the comeback, that you have a remarkable comeback story. We are honored to have you on staff, and look forward to continuing this journey with you. So grateful for you, Taylor. Thank you. Guys, thank you so much for listening to our podcast. It is a privilege and an honor to be able to serve you. If you or someone in your family is struggling with addiction, please give us a call at 770-570-7422.